Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. If you got a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. We're starting a new message series today, calling it Empowered. Say Empowered. I felt like Duke there for a second. Hallelujah. 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 We're going to start in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read a long passage of Scripture, but it's, uh, the Bible's good. Amen? It's amazing how much time we have for uh, offerings in churches, but we don't have time to read the Bible. Isn't it kind of funny? That's just Carl being snarky, all right? The heat loss, so I'm a little bitter. So, you're right. It's, you could be bitter about some things. The Lord put mourning in the Bible for when the heat lose three in a row in the playoffs. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The Word of God says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise. Say noise. Okay, there was a noise. I want you to get this. We read these scriptures wrong. Like, the Bible says that there came a noise, a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, did a wind fill the house or a noise? Okay, we get that, right? So a noise filled the house, and a noise was like a wind. Wind didn't come, noise came. Right? And they appeared, excuse me, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, each rested on each one of them. So now we have a noise, and uh, you see a tongue of fire. So when you watch a fire and like you see uh, like this thing kind of leaps up, Leaps up, that's called a tongue. It's called a tongue of fire. And so they saw like this flicker happen on certain heads. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So now we have two sounds happening. Right? We, there's a sound that's like wind that filled the room. It's a, 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 a just noise. And then we have a sound of many people at the same time praising God in their own language. Now, this noise was so noisy, it went outside. When the sound occurred, verse 6, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans. And how is it that we hear each of them in our language in which we were born? And then he talks about all the different people that were there. We're going to jump ahead to uh, verse 11. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But Peter taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, 
and they shall prophesy. And I'll grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, let's say it together, will be saved. You say amen to the reading of the word. Amen, 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 and amen. Today on the church calendar is Pentecost Sunday. Today, yeah, amen. Today is the day, amen. Today is the day that we, come on, one class, we all clap. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Today is the day we celebrate the sending of the Spirit. We celebrate Pentecost Sunday. And in church history today, three separate events are celebrated. I want to get into that. Very briefly, I, I feel something happening, and I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, there's three things that happen today in biblical history that we are worthy to celebrate. The first thing was uh, the Torah was given to Moses. Now, for us, this doesn't seem like that big a deal, but uh, in, in the days of the Jews wandering in the desert, this was huge. This was a really, really big deal. I, 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 want you to, I want you to figure that there was this group of people who had a covenant with God, and uh, they just believed because Abraham heard God. They just believed. They, they believed that their God would do something. And uh, they wandered and wandered and wandered, and they found a place, and then they wound up uh, in captivity, and time went on, and then... The Egyptians owned them and ruled them, and they were in slavery, and then they uh, left, left slavery, and they were just wandering. And they were doing all of this, hoping that their leaders were actually hearing God. And then finally, Moses, uh, who was leading them out of captivity, went up on Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, he had this encounter with God. Now, now before this, you've got to remember, all his people were slaves. They were all slaves, and as you remember the story, they were being persecuted by the Egyptians, and, uh, and uh, as, as the Egyptians were following them, the Lord said, listen, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to kill these people who are persecuting you. I'm going to kill the firstborn among those who, who don't want you to leave, who don't want to let you have freedom. And he says, what you need to do is you need to slaughter a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. So they slaughtered the lamb, they put the blood on the doorpost, and then the death came, and the death angel came and killed all the firstborn. The Bible says 3,000 were born that day, and finally, after a series of, of tests and trials, uh, the, the, the Jews were finally released to go uh, worship God, and then the Egyptians followed them, and as you know, they were drowned in the Red Sea, but they were wandering just hoping that God was talking to them. Finally, God told Moses, climb Mount Sinai and I'll, and I'll talk to you. And so the people stayed below at the bottom of the mountain and they looked up and there was lightning and, and, and thunder on the top of the mountain. And Moses, when he came down, he saw that the people in their darkness, in their confusion, in their sadness, they began worshiping a golden calf. They took a fire and they took all, their, all the gold that they had plundered from Egypt and they turned it into a calf, they, 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 they were able to use enough technology in that time to create this golden figure, and they began worshiping it. And Moses, who had led them out of captivity so they can worship the one true God, comes down from being in God's presence and sees them 
worshiping this calf. And he's like, my God, what, what happened in this, this short period of time? And he went up on the mountain and he had another encounter with God and he came down with the law. He came down with the Torah. He, 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 he came down on this day that we were just hoping we heard God. Now he came down with some actual scriptures, the Bible says, written in stone. These Ten Commandments, the, the ways of God. But more importantly, he came down with proof that people were hearing God. Up until then, they were just hoping. Up until then, they were just, just, just believing. They were passing stories down. But now for the very first time, the people of God heard God and had scriptures from him. So on this Passover, the day that they put the blood on the doorpost, they, the firstborn of the Egyptians were murdered and death passed over Israel, which enabled them 50 days later to get the law to come. They call it Shavuot. It's the day that the Torah was received by the Jews. They started, unfortunately, that day they started as God's people. Moses on the mountain, they're God's people who are delivered. At the end of that day, they were idol worshipers. One day, one day, they just had this little period of Moses on the mountain, 40 days, and come back and they had already forsaken God. They saw the 3,000 killed and yet it didn't sway them. And, but once and for all, Moses goes up on the mountain, comes back down with the Ten Commandments. Now it was 50 days after this sacrifice of the Lamb and the blood on the doorpost that the Moses came down from the mountain with the Torah, with the, with, the, with the Ten Commandments, with the law. God's way, Torah, God's way. And for them, uh, Torah was a gift. We like to look at the law through a judgmental lens. We look back and say, oh, you're under the law. I'm under grace. But for them, it was we're just groping for what God wants us to do. And now we actually have sacred scriptures. God has enabled us to know how to worship him in a way that he desires. Don't you wish you knew that sometimes? Don't you just wish that God would send down some sort of printed text and tell you, this is what I want from you right now? That's what happened for them on that day. And so for all time, they were ordered to go to Jerusalem and celebrate this day, this Shavuot, this day that they, the people of God, received the law. Now, there was another thing that would happen on this day. It was this day of Pentecost that we call. They had a thing that was called the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks. It was one of three pilgrimage feasts that the Jews had. Three times the Jews were supposed to make a pilgrimage into Jerusalem and have a feast in celebration. And the Feast of Weeks was one of them. And if you think about the Jewish calendar, the, the Feast of Weeks uh, it happened um, at the beginning of the harvest. So imagine that you are living on the land. Has anybody here ever gardened? Gardening is the most expensive way to get vegetables. It is the most difficult way to feed your family. It is so much easier just to go to Publix. And so much cheaper. Uh, when I grew tomatoes, each tomato cost about forty dollars. 
in about six months of my labor. It is the most expensive, and I don't even eat tomatoes. That's the crazy part. I, I grew very expensive cucumbers. I was going to make my own pickles. I have a taught about that one time. I have this 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 thing for sweet and spicy pickles, and I decided I was going to grow cucumbers and make my own sweet and spicy pickles. And for what I put into those cucumbers, I could have bought a truck of sweet and spicy pickles, not to mention the ingredients to buy the sweet and spicy. And so from that day forward, I decided I'm never growing vegetables again. But if you have to live off these vegetables, I, I, I you know, it's, it's, we, when we read the Bible, it's super important that we look at the Bible through the lens of the people it was written to, right? Now, it's good to know that scriptures are written to you, but it's also very important to understand what it meant to the people it was being written to. Now, now, if you have to live off of the plants you put in the ground, how many of you know you're praying for a lot of plants? Because if it, this doesn't work now, in six months I watch my children get thinner. That's scary, right? And I get hungry, right? Like, I, I, I get hungry and there's nothing you can do about it until next spring when you start planting more crops. So you think about these agrarian economies, uh, these agrarian cultures that the Bible is being written to, and their seasons are like, Lord, we need rain really bad. That's why when we think about the story of Elijah and no rain for three years, we're like, yeah, okay, I can see that being punishment. No, no rain for three years means famine. That means nobody's eating. It's not like you can just you know get some food from Guatemala. And, and bring it over on a ship to Israel. There is no Guatemala, right? I mean, it's there, but they hadn't been colonized yet and called Guatemala, right? There are just people there who are happy living in their own Incan Guatemalan temples, right? Like, they, they were doing their own thing back then. We, we couldn't just import produce from somewhere else. Like, here, here's the option. Grow food or die, right? That's it. And so you better believe that you're, like, the way you pray for certain things. They're praying, like, let this plant produce Whatever it is they ate, right? We need wheat. Lord, we need wheat. And so at the very beginning of the harvest, they would plant wheat uh, late in the winter um, because it doesn't get all that cold in that area uh, of the world. They plant their, their wheat in the, in, the, in the end of winter. And then when the very first um, crops would come in, uh, you know, it comes in waves. Again, if you garden, you understand this. It's not everything comes at once. You get some first fruits, they call it. And what you would do is you would get the first fruits, the very first that propped up, and you would gather all of that, and you would take it as an offering to the Lord. Why? Because if you set apart the first as holy, the remainder is holy. Amen. That, that's why, that's why when, when the Jews became Christians, instead of worshiping on the last day of the week, they started worshiping on the first day of the week, Sunday, to sanctify their week. That's why we set apart Sunday, we come together and we give God the Sunday morning, the very first part of the very first day of the week. We sanctify it as holy, so the remainder would be holy. This is why we give our tithe, we give the first fruits of our increase, so the remainder is holy. And as my pastor used to teach me, I'd rather 90% blessed than 100% you're on your own. Right? I want, I want God on my money in ways that I can't make my money do what I need it to do, right? And so, so there's this, this, it's this biblical thing that goes all the way back. And so they would bring the first fruits of their 
produce, and they would bring it into the temple. They would do a wave offering along with, I believe, seven rams. I have studied this, but at this very moment, I don't remember. But they would, um, I, I even have it written down somewhere, but I have no idea where I am in my, in my notes here. Uh, but they would give, a, yeah, it is a grain offering and seven lambs. They would offer seven lambs in a grain offering, and they would bring it to the temple. And they were ordered to do this because you wanted a good harvest. You really wanted a good harvest. Today, we believe we could just do it on our own. But back then, they're like, if it'll rain, we're all scarred, right? And so this is, this is, why, this is why famine was a big deal. You, could, you didn't just have a country sending you food. They just they let you all starve, and they take over your land. They let the men starve, and they take over your women. They let you starve, they take your children, and they make your children their children. Kind of a problem. So you would really pray you'd want God on your side. This is why much of the Jewish festival calendar lines up with their um, harvest calendar. Like at the beginning of the harvest, you would have, you know, we're, we're celebrating like God. We, we, we have the Day of Atonement early in the planting because we want to make sure I'm... I got no sin in my life. I'm putting seed in the ground as a righteous man with righteous lands, right? Nothing is cursed. I'm doing the Day of Atonement. I'm making sure I am clean and pure before I start my farming for the year. When the first fruits come in, I'm setting apart the first of that because I need a good harvest because I'm going to get hungry in a couple months, right? So there's all this worship of God. Uh, it makes sense when you look at their calendar. And so this, this, this first fruits harvest, uh, Shavuot, and uh, the, the, the Feast of Weeks is what it's called, is on the same day as the day that the Torah was given, the, the, the law. Are, are you following me so far? The third thing that we celebrate <clears throat> is what's called the Passover. This is a New Testament holiday. This is on the same day as the Passover uh, in, in, in Jewish history. We, we, they, they, excuse me, I said Passover, but that's not what I meant. I meant Pentecost. The third thing we celebrate today is Pentecost. And it's the same day as the day that they celebrated the giving of the law, which happened on the same day as the Feast of Weeks. Fifty days after Passover was 50 days later, Penta, in the Greek, if you look at the Greek Old Testament, that holiday of the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, is called Pentecost. If you know anything about Latin uh, or Greek, penta means five or 50 or something like that, right? So Pentecost, right? There's a holiday on the 50. 50 days after, it's Pentecost. It's, it, it makes sense, right? This book actually makes sense. And when it doesn't make sense, it's because you don't know how to read the book. It's not complicated, right? If you go to TikTok University, the book doesn't make sense. If you actually go to seminary, the book starts to make a lot of sense. Right? These are people. It, it, they, didn't, they didn't run like this some sort of con for 3,000 years and nobody caught on. Right? Like, this, this, this thing actually works. Right? And, and so, j just like we read about uh, it, just earlier in the service, on the day of Pentecost, <clears throat> I want you to think about what's happening now. Uh, in Jerusalem, all faithful Jews had to come, if they were able to give their offering to the Lord for the sending of His Word. So Jerusalem was packed. Jerusalem is a small city, but in all the diaspora, that means like there was Jews spread out all over, they would come to Jerusalem on these festival days, these feast days, to give their offering and to have a feast. Now, um, Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, was a two-day festival. 
It started on the day before, on the 49th day, and it ended on the 50 days, so it was kind of two days of parties, right? You do your offering, you do your sacrifice, and then you party, right? Uh, there's people who like to say that there was, it, that there was no wine in the Bible, that um, it was all grape juice. Have you heard this teaching before? Have you heard this teaching? Let me, if you haven't, you're blessed. <clears throat> but, but some people like to say that, that in the, in the New Testament times, Jesus never drank alcohol because there was no alcohol. The alcohol he drank was grape juice. The, the, the problem is, if you leave grape juice, one of two things happens. One, it gets moldy. And the way you keep it from going bad and getting moldy is to ferment it. Those are your options. Either throw away the grape juice or turn it into wine. And you don't grow grapes in the Middle East for seven years to get your first harvest so you can throw the grapes away. Right? <laughs> That's not why you do it. You do it because you want something to drink and it stays good. Now, the wine that Jews drank is not like the wine that you're getting today. It's uh, like, if you ever had Manischewitz, it's super, super sweet and it's pretty low in alcohol. But it has alcohol in it. You could drink enough to get drunk. I don't advise it because you might get sick, right? It is, it's, not, it's not that good, if you know what I mean. It's, it's very sweet, but it's alcoholic. That's why he says, don't get drunk with wine. Well, if the wine is not alcoholic, how could you get drunk with wine? The book makes sense. The, the book actually makes sense. So they were there having parties, right? And, and part of this festival was you celebrate God. Now, you don't get tore down drunk. Right? We're not, we're not doing, we're not bumping lines, you know, for, for, for Jesus and these kind of things. If you, you're right, like, they're not getting tore down. They're not getting so drunk they're rolling in the streets. But they're sitting around the table. They're having festival. They're having um, a feast. They're eating. They're drinking wine. They're having, they're having a good time celebrating what God did for them. You can take that down. They, they were celebrating what God did for them so many years ago, and that they're still being blessed for today. Now, you had this, you had this festival later in the day. You don't have it in the morning. And that, that's why Peter says, they're not drunk as you suppose because it's early. He didn't say they're not drunk as you suppose because they're godly. He didn't say they're not drunk as you suppose because it's really grape juice. He's like, it's too early for that, right? Like, that time will come later. Now, if you have a drinking problem, don't drink, right? This is not, like, like don't. Just, just, just don't. And if you don't have a drinking problem, don't start one, right? Don't, don't say, well, Pastor said, you know, I've got to, you know, don't, don't start one, right? Like, this is not licensed to get drunk. This is Peter saying, listen, you think that these people are in sin because of the festival, but we all know the festival starts later, right? Not everybody's going to get drunk, but some people will abuse God's grace for their own purposes. And Peter's like, I see what you're accusing them of, but that's not what's happening. All right? So on this Pentecost day, this, this day where they're celebrating the descent of the Word down from the mountain, the day that they're celebrating the first fruits of what is to come later, Jesus pours out His Spirit on this crowd. And when they're in this room, they begin getting, they hear this wind come, like something, so what is this Wind that God is breaking through in the auditory realm in a way that they don't understand. And now we're seeing things that 
look like fire. And of course, in the Bible, fire always symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And so they see the Spirit, they hear this rumbling. Now, it's important to understand that when Jesus, excuse me, when Moses was on the mountain, as I was studying this week, Moses was on the mountain and the people were on the ground. And in the Bible, it says that there was a great thunder on the mountain with Moses. Now, if you study that Hebrew word, which I will not try to pronounce at this very moment, that word thunder has more than one meaning. Now, to some, it could mean just loud, unintelligible sound, but it has a more correct understanding of intelligible communication. So there is a thunder, but the thunder is a form of communication. And what that tells me is when God was speaking to Moses, Moses understood what God was speaking, but those who didn't know God heard nothing but thunder. That's why you will sit with the Spirit of God under the preached Word of God, and you'll hear it, it will speak right to your heart, and you'll tell it to somebody who does not have the Spirit of God, and they'll be like, okay, so? You're like, do you understand what this means? They're like, yeah, I just... Um, what, what you like? I, I, I don't understand why this isn't landing on you like it landed on me. Why? Because they don't have the decipher book yet. They don't have the code book to decipher what God is speaking by His Spirit. This is why we need the Holy Ghost to communicate the Word of God to people so that this anointing will land on people's hearts and it will animate their hearts as you're speaking to them. We can't do it by the flesh. It has to be done by the Spirit. See, what we just read about, this sending of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, is just like the Jews were saved on Passover from death, we were saved from sin and death at the cross. But they didn't have clear direction yet. They were saved at the Passover when the death passed over their houses, but they had not gotten direction yet. They were just in the wilderness at the bottom of the mountain saying, like, I'm not... I'm not sure where to go. And just like that happened, Jesus was in the grave three days, and then He came back to life. And then we know He just walked among His disciples for 40 days-ish. He walked among His disciples and talked to them and said things and and uh, he ascended into heaven, maybe about 37 days. And he, they watched him ascend. Last Sunday, we celebrated Ascension Sunday, where Jesus went up into heaven. And they're like, like, can you imagine you gave your life to following somebody? And they're just like, yeah, I'm moving now. Where are you going? Heaven. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Like, wait a minute. I just gave three years of my life, and now all of Israel hates me. The, the, the Jews hate me. The, 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 the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, the Eshens, like, we are hated by everybody, and you're just bailing on us. He's like, yep, that's the plan. He's like, I, this isn't the plan I signed up for. You ever been with Jesus and been like, this isn't the plan I signed up for, Jesus? Have, have you had that conversation with Jesus before? I've had that conversation with Jesus. This isn't what I signed up for. He's like, well, you, you didn't read the contract. You're like, but you didn't show me the contract. He's like, I got you. I'm like, what does that mean? What, what, what exactly does that mean, Jesus? What exactly does that mean? I ask my wife sometimes, did you know you were signing up for all this when you married me? Did you know everything that Carl entails? Did you have any idea? when you? She's like, no, 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 I did not. But she says, I'm glad I did. But she doesn't know. And I'm thankful for her 
And so Jesus, he ascends into heaven and he says, here's what's, here's what's funny. He says to them, you know, hey, wait in Jerusalem because not many days from now, I'm going to send the Spirit. Now, if you read the gospel and you read the Bible, what does soon mean? Soon means nothing, exactly. Soon means absolutely nothing in the Bible. Behold, I come quickly means nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It does, you have no idea. I mean, it's even in the book. He's like, you know, a day is like, I don't know, a thousand years to me. A thousand years? Like a day. Like, then why, why, why use the words then? I don't understand. Why are we using the word days and years if they don't mean anything to you? What is going on? And so I just wonder what the apostles were thinking in his disciples as Jesus just like at that point, I, I personally believe they were in such a state of post-traumatic stress disorder that when he flew into heaven, they were just like, yep, I, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> he could turn into a giraffe right now. It would not surprise me at all. He could juggle, and the things he's juggling turn into Pharisees. It would not surprise me at all. Like, yeah, at that point, the Bible even says they stopped asking him questions. <laughs> they were just like, I, we don't know. We don't know anything. And when we ask you, we know less. So we know your answer only causes more questions. I've just given up, right? And then we think we know something, and then you just turn away and heal people. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know anything. I, I have no idea. And so he's like, Go to Jerusalem and wait. And they're just like, we could be here today, a week, a year. We could get flown into heaven. Jesus could come back. We don't know. I mean, when they were praying at one point, the door was locked and he walked through the door. You're like, what? Could, could you? And this, and this, this poses theological questions, right? We know that Peter was on the was was cooking some you know Jesus was on the on the on the shore cooking some fish and uh, they're eating fish and he's eating cooking and, and the, the disciples were like you're dead and he's like oh no no come on over here he's like no no we watched you be dead Where, what what's happening he's like come on let me serve you some fish now I don't eat fish so that wouldn't be a blessing my wife that would be a good thing but can you imagine the fish that Jesus cooked God, that would probably be some good fish right there right that would be some good fish right there. I'd be like, can you do that multiplication thing again? Like, can you, right? But, the, but they all ate the fish, right? And then, then they're like, he disappears again. And then they're all in this room praying. And they're like, where is he? Like, why even guess? Why even guess where he is? And then Jesus walks through the wall, walks through the door into the room, which leads to the question, what happened to the fish, right? Was, how did the fish, I understand how Jesus got through the door, walked through the wall, how did the fish make it through? I don't know. I don't, I don't understand what happened with that. I, did, did it become divine? I don't understand, right? Like, there's just, it just, everything he did caused more questions than it answered. And so Jesus is there among them, and finally they see him flying to heaven, and he's like, wait, just wait in Jerusalem, because not many days from now, I'm going to send my spirit. First of all, what does that even mean? What does it mean to send your spirit? What, what are you talking about? Send your spirit. What, what does that even mean? And not many days from now, like you're dead, we're going to be in a room waiting in Jerusalem. Now everybody's in Jerusalem celebrating the feast and they're just sitting in a room and, 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 and they're, they're praying. And, and 
50 days, this is important, 50 days after the death of Jesus, 50 days after that Passover, the day that they celebrate on Passover, they celebrated the slaughter of the lamb so the lamb's blood could be put on the door so death would pass by. They're celebrating that on that day, the day before the Passover, Jesus is murdered. The, the Passover lamb of all eternity was murdered. His blood was shed so that death could pass over us, right? Fifty days later, fifty days later, they're in the upper room with everybody who came to celebrate the Feast of Weeks and to celebrate the dissension of the Word from Mount Sinai. And, and Jesus says to them, hey, while you're waiting, just wait because I'm going to send my Spirit. And, and Jesus had been telling them over and over and over again that He was going to send the Spirit, but they didn't understand it. But i got to believe at that point, because we know that John said that before He descended, He breathed on a few of them and said, Receive my Spirit. Now, i got to believe that on some of them at least, that the promise came to pass. Like they, they started seeing this this pattern in his teaching as they were talking and saying, what, what do you think is coming next? I mean, in, in, in Acts chapter 1, we read that before Jesus ascended, in verse 4, put that up if you would please, it says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. Now, when you leave your house, like when you leave somebody you're not going to see for a long time, the last thing you say is super important. You save the really important things before you walk out of the room. And Jesus chose to use that moment to tell them, hey, wait for the Holy Ghost. He didn't say, now be good. He didn't say, make sure you remember my teachings. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't say, now don't forget about the Sabbath or the, 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 to heal people. He didn't say any of those things. He said, here's what he said, wait for the Holy Ghost, which will be given not many days from now, and you will be clothed with power on high. He said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, uh, John the Baptist said, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, say it, fire. This is what John the Baptist, who Jesus called the greatest apostle to ever live, said about Jesus. He didn't say he was going to come and heal your sick. He didn't say he's going to bring the new echelon. He didn't say he was going to bring a new season or fulfill prophecies. He said, man, I'm, I'm baptizing you for repentance. I'm glad that you're repenting. But man, the one who comes after me, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. I'm going to read that again. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. Let me say this again. I will ask the Father. He will give you another Helper, that He will be with you forever. Jesus, like, you ever feel like sometimes He's here and sometimes He's not? You ever feel like I tapped into Him on one moment, but another moment I'm not on the guest list? A lot of people pray, man, Jesus, come back, come back, come back, come back. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. He will be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him 
or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. Watch this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'll get back to that point. I have a, there's, there, Pentecost, all the seasons of the church have provoked artists throughout history. And uh, I, I have a, a, I like Pentecost art. I like the theophany where Jesus was baptized. It's probably my favorite. But uh, there's so many amazing Pentecost paintings. If you would put up my next slide here. This one is by a French artist named Rousseau. I love this painting. It was painted in 1732. It's currently hanging in the Louvre. And I, and, I, and I see paintings like this, and I think that person had a revelation. It wasn't just people in a room, and then, hmm, I feel tingles. The awe-inspiring fear of God-inducing, other-realm-opening Spirit of God landed on human flesh and caught them up in a way where heaven and earth collided, where all of a sudden the veil was torn between what God wants to speak and what man wants to hear. There was a time where people could not hear God. One prophet maybe would be able to speak. One priest possibly could go into the Holy of Holies. But for the first time in human history, the Spirit of God descended from heaven and in power rested on people and so overcame them externally and internally. They began to speak with other languages. It not only affected their, their body and their ability to hear spiritually, it affected them physically in that they were speaking a language they did not know and it affected their soul in that they were baptized into the, into the church of Jesus Christ. It transformed them in that room like something supernatural happened. And in that room, the church of Jesus Christ was born. The Spirit of God rested on a people for the first time. And it was so powerful, they poured out into the streets speaking in unknown languages where people were stopping and listening and saying, what in the world is happening here? And i got to tell you, in an age where the church is trying to be cute and is trying to be relevant and is trying to be worldly, the church at the first century didn't try to look like the community they were in. They were letting them know, what you got ain't it. What God has sent here is what you want. This is the real you that you want. You want to hear God. You want to know God. You want to live in a way where you don't care what people think about you. You want to be under the power and control of the Holy Ghost who will not leave you orphans, but He will come to you. He will adopt you. He will not leave you alone. I know I look funny to you because you were raised in a paradigm that has taught you to be insecure about everything. And now that the Spirit of God has come upon me, I'm embarrassed of nothing. I am fully at home in my own skin. I don't need to look like you to be complete. I don't need your likes and follows to feel like somebody because the God of heaven and earth knows my name. He speaks to me. He put His Spirit in me. He lets me hear His voice. Oh, they celebrated on, on the day that Moses came down with the law. They said, finally, our God speaks to us through Moses. But on this Pentecost, 
God spoke directly to each and every single person in the room for the first time. We can all hear God's voice unashamed. Come on, somebody. This was power from heaven being poured out on the disciples. It's just like the first Pentecost. The children of Israel, they were in a desert. And they were set free, but they were without direction. They, they, they didn't know. That's how we were. You get saved, and you look back, and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm not that anymore, but what am I? Who am I? What do I do? What, where do I get direction? What, what, where do I go from here? And then the Holy Ghost comes. And then the Holy Ghost comes and begins to speak to you for God. Holy Spirit begins to fill you with purpose and identity. It begins to speak through you life and liberty. And all of a sudden, you get direction in your life. You're not left alone. You're not left an orphan. The Spirit is with you forever. This is the Spirit of Jesus. This is the Spirit of Christ. It's the Spirit of God. This is, this is powerful. This is a powerful encounter where God sent His Word to live on the inside of you. If you've not experienced this overflowing of power, I would begin to encourage you to begin to pray for it. I would encourage you to begin to ask God that you may experience this overflowing of power in your life. But we had that first Pentecost where they sent the Word. And this second Pentecost was the complete undoing of the first Pentecost. I've taught on this many times, and I'll teach on it again many times, because it's worth repeating. It's worth bearing witness how significant this day is. As Pentecostals, we should be that much more familiar with it. We must be that much more celebratory of what God does in this season, in the first Pentecost, who was 50 days after the death of that lamb that they had to sacrifice, whose bones could not be broken, but had to be sacrificed without blemish. On the second Pentecost, it was 50 days after the Lamb of God, whose bones were not broken. In the first Pentecost, it was the death of the firstborn of Egypt. On the second Pentecost, it was the death of the first born of God. The first Pentecost only happened once, where the Bible, where the Torah was brought down from the mountain. The second Pentecost, it happens to this day. The second Pentecost is a complete reversal of the first Pentecost. Hear me. On the first Pentecost, they got freedom from Egypt and the power of Pharaoh. On the second Pentecost, they got freedom from sin in the power of the enemy. On the first Pentecost, they started as God's people and they ended the day as idol worshipers. On the second Pentecost, we go from pagans following our own ways to the people of God. On the first Pentecost, 3,000 were killed. The Bible tells us on the second Pentecost, 3,000 were saved and added to the church. On the first Pentecost, the law came down. On the second Pentecost, the Spirit came down. On the first Pentecost, people used fire from the earth to form a God. On the second Pentecost, we became 
God's people through the fire of God. The second Pentecost is the complete reversal of the first Pentecost. I'm here to tell you we need to live in this Pentecost. You say amen. We need this to be happening in our lives on a regular basis. We need regular Pentecostal encounters. We need encounters with the Spirit of God. You cannot do this walk on your own. You cannot. We cannot. If you feel frustrated, you feel dry, you feel directionless, friend, you need another Pentecost. If you feel like, man, I just, it just, this feels like religion, feels like laws, feel like rules, friend, you need another Pentecost. If you feel like, man, it's just a drudgery, I, 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 you know, do I need to go to church or can I just... If you are getting more satisfaction out of going to the beach on a Sunday than gathering with the saints of God, friend, you need another Pentecost. You have grown cold to the things of God. Your spirit has grown cold to the Spirit of God. Your, your senses have grown cold to the leading of God. The flame on your altar has been dimmed because you do not receive the fire of God in the gathering of His saints. You see, there's something that happens where two or three are gathered in His name. Jesus said, I am there in the midst of them. And when you live this life of Pentecost, you desire for burning flame on the inside of you. And it doesn't get satisfied by bottomless mimosas on brunch. Come on, somebody. It don't get satisfied by reading a philosophy book or Bashing the church in a TikTok. You don't get satisfied that way. Do it all you want. I understand you're hurt. I get it. I get the church has hurt people, but Jesus has never hurt you. The Holy Ghost has never hurt you. If you're looking at people, turn your eyes up a little bit and look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Be brave. Oh, Jesus. Be brave. Be brave. A study came out in the last year by the American Psychological Association. You have a graphic of it. Listen to this headline. Go ahead and put it up as well, please. It says, more than a quarter of U.S. adults say they are so stressed they can't function. A quarter. A quarter of Americans are so stressed they can't function. How many, how many are just stressed that they're barely functioning? How many of the people that you're at work with go home and need the bottle? How many people go home so unsatisfied with their life they create an online identity and play video games trying to be somebody? Now, I don't care. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not bashing video games. I am bashing the escapism that people are engaging in to try to be something in this world. People giving their lives for fake internet points. The likes, the follows, the levels on your on your game, the they're fake internet points. They don't mean anything. They they they're in light of eternity, when all of our works are tested with fire, I promise you, you're not gonna go to heaven with twenty thousand Facebook likes or a hundred thousand Twitter followers. It's not gonna happen. But we try to create a life for ourselves. We want our life to have meaning, we want purpose, we want to be somebody. And we seek it in ways that do not satisfy the soul. And so we have a generation that's deconstructing what it means to be part of culture. So broken. 25% says they can't even function. I'm 
like, man, I'm, I, I speak no judgment, but I speak to a world that has programmed people into a life that they can't actually achieve, that they can't attain. Got them on a hamster wheel that they'll never get off of. You say, well, what, 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 what else is there? Here's the most important part. On the first Pentecost, they received instruction on how to separate themselves from the world. God said, listen, I want you to be my people. And the way that starts is you're going to stop worshiping what the world worships. And when we look back, when we look back at Israel, and we look at the Egyptians and the Amorites, and we look at them, we're like, wow, why would you worship their God while we go into debt to fulfill the gods of this age? Doing seven-year car loans so we can look like we're something. Did you really just give seven years of your life to have the right car? We'll judge. We'll judge it. We'll judge the Israelites. Oh, can't believe that you that you you worship the fertility god. But you'll go into debt with Botox and implants. Like, like, like they, this is what God was saying. Listen, listen. Their gods will never bring you life. You can never satisfy them. They always want more. This is how psychics work. This is how psychics work. If you've ever gone to a psychic or you like an encouragement not to go to one, let me tell you why. Number one, demons hang out around psychics, so I wouldn't go there. But what a psychic does is psychic uses a familiar spirit. A familiar spirit knows what's going on in your life, what spirits have been attacking you, what's going on there, and they see the demons and they say, oh, I see this thing. You're like, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And they're like, well... There's a curse coming. Oh, no. No, no, no. Well, I can get the curse off you. It costs $4,000. Then when you give them $4,000, you've given your power to the psychic. And you've just come under the curse. And you will never be able to move on from that psychic. You are now tied to them spiritually because you're worshiping a false god. You hear what I'm telling you right now. Oh, I'm touching a demon right now. That wouldn't even be my message. Someone's going to get deliverance for free right now. Come on, somebody. Hear me. Yeah. You will never get free of the need of that psychic. It will only grow stronger because that demonic power only will sink its fangs into you deeper. Maybe things will happen spiritually because of that, but it is not by grace. You will owe that thing something. My family, uh, uh, gosh, I'm so off the, off the farm right now. <clears throat> I have, I have two sides of my family. Uh, the, the, the side I knew, the side I didn't know. The side I knew was the Italian side. And um, my Uncle Hector uh, was, in, was in the mob, because uh, that's just, I guess, what you did in Pittsburgh and uh, in, in, in New York. My, my grandfather was a boxing promoter uh, in, the, in the 50s and uh, 60s and early 70s, and he was a very, very famous boxing promoter. But if you were in the, in the, in the, in the boxing game in New York, the mob ran gambling, so you know you, you had these, you have these ties, and um, uh, I have some really cool pictures of my grandfather. I ought to bring some time, but he, he, if you would think of what a like stereotypical mobster looks like, like that's Grandpa Dewey. It's like, it, it's, it's bizarre. Am I right, honey? It, it's bizarre. I ought to bring him. And um, 
And here's how, here's how the mob works. The mob works, you need a favor, they'll give you a favor, but you don't recognize that they're now, you're now part of their life. It's a parasite. They become a parasite. And whenever they need something, they will suck you. They will suck the blood out of your life. And they will suck you dry until you've got nothing left to give. And once you die, the parasite moves on to something else. This is how the devil works. This is how the devil works. I uh, told the story recently. I'll tell it to you now as way of confession. Now, I'm going to be transparent with you. Well, I'm going to be as transparent as is socially applicable as a sermon illustration, right? <clears throat> My wife and I, we, we, we like to go on vacation um, because we couldn't for many, many, many years. We were too poor, so now we try to go on vacation. And I started this little habit when I would go on vacation. Uh, I would buy a lotto ticket. Like, I don't play the lottery. Uh, I'm not a gambler, not because I'm against gambling. I'm against losing money, right? Like, and so I don't, I don't gamble because I, I like to keep my money. And when I lose money, I feel bad about it. And when I spend money, I feel bad about it. So even when we need to, my wife's like, you got to get the car fixed. I'm like, I can probably fix it. I don't want to spend the money. <clears throat> and so, um, and so, yeah, I have till tomorrow to get something fixed. So we got to go to the... <laughs> My afternoon is tied up if you wanted to go to lunch. <clears throat> and so um, and so we would go on vacation and I would buy a lotto ticket, right? Like, you know, no, nobody's winning the lotto. We're talking about a dollar, two dollars. We're not, don't have a gambling addiction, right? And then, um, and then like the lotto got to be like a billion dollars, some craziness like that. Remember that? Not too long ago, I was like, I was like, well, you know, I could use a billion dollars actually, you know, like it's a dollar. I'll, 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 I'll throw a dollar at it. You know, I'll throw a dollar at the, at the lotto. And, uh, and, and, and I didn't win. I was like, well, I wouldn't expect him to win. And then it got to be like $1.3 billion. And I was like, what? I could really use $1.3 billion. I could do some things, right, with $1.3 billion. All gospel work, of course. Of course, all for the gospel, you know. Um, and, uh, and, um, and so I bought three lotto tickets because, right? And then, and so... Like, I know that would leave me with one million, one billion two hundred and ninety-nine million nine hundred and ninety-seven dollars. But I figured that was still worth giving a shot, right? So, um, so I bought three lotto tickets, and then I didn't look at them. I didn't look at them for a couple of days, and in, in my mind, I would lay at night and think, like, what will I do with a billion dollars? <laughs> you ever done that? Like, this? What could I do? What could I do with a billion dollars? At first, you start thinking of stupid things like, I get a car. You know, like, I could buy a car manufacturer for a billion dollars. I could, I could help some people. I could help all the people. I could be like an American billionaire and help none of the people, right? Like, <clears throat> um, and, 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 then, and then I checked my lotto ticket. I didn't win. All right? I didn't win the $1.3 billion. Um, and, uh, and, and then I was disappointed. Like my heart, I was like, Ooh. And, and I got a check in my spirit. The Holy Spirit was like, is that where your hope is? Is that, is that, I was like, oh, it's $3, Lord. He's like, it ain't about the money. It's about your hope. Does this make sense? It's about, it's about your heart. I'm like, oh, Jesus. So you're going to give me $1.3 million? <laughs> million? Because, <laughs> I mean, it could be $1.3 million if you want. I'll, I'll take 1.3 thousand if that's what you got. I'll take 
I'm joking, but but God was after the heart. He was He's after after like what what is my hope in? And as long as my hope is in what this world has, you're never going to be satisfied because the world is set up that you can never achieve it. You can't obtain it. It is a system. It is an algorithm that always makes you need a little more. On that first Pentecost, they received how to be separated from the world. But here's what's exciting about the second Pentecost. On that day when they were in that little room, they became so they, they had lived sanctified already. But they became so empowered, they were anointed to now reach the world. They made a sound. They had power. They had, they had an intimacy with God that the people were asking, what does this mean? What, what, what is it with your life that is different, that something godly is happening with you that is not happening with me? This second Pentecost, it, it wasn't to be hidden in a prayer room. It, it wasn't just so that, you know, you can get your kids into a good school and you can move to a better neighborhood and that you can get some sort of... No, no, no. This was so that you would have power to show people and to give people power to connect with God that they can't get on their own. God is like, I'm going to pour out so much intimacy on you that you will have enough to give some of that intimacy to other people. This is what Pentecost is about. It's not about the ability to manipulate this natural realm. It's about having such an overflow of the intimacy of God that we never have to worry about running out of it. We never have to worry about coming dry. As a matter of fact, the more you give away, the more you get. The more you talk to people about Jesus, the more you have to talk about Jesus. The more you share your testimony, the more testimony you have to share. This this intimacy with God, as you pour it out to other people, it, it seems to like turn into a full garden. When you sit at home complaining to God that you don't have what you need, have you noticed you only get more depressed? You only get more sad. You only feel more isolated. But on the second Pentecost, they, they had so much, they, they didn't have to worry about, like, oh, we can't share this with other people. You remember when they were with Jesus, they were, disciples were like, hey, these other people are ministering. Do we, do we need to kill them? Do we need to destroy them? Jesus was like, nah, man. You don't understand. You'll never run out of anointing. You'll never run out of people to minister to. You'll never run out of the Spirit. The more people sharing it, the better. And when you get into church systems where people are competing with one another, you know they've not undergone this countercultural spiritual formation to celebrate one another coming up together, celebrating one another, ministering to people, celebrating one another's breakthroughs. People were ridiculing them. They said they were weird. But Peter, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, he stood in the midst of them and said, Men of Judea, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. This baptism of the Holy Spirit, I need you to see this. Yes, it manifested in tongues. Yes, they were giving praise to God. But the apostles, immediately after being filled with the Holy Ghost, began sharing it with other people. This is the biblical model. There used to be so much goofy 
goofy, 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 charismatic stuff in South Florida. People would compete with one another, and who could be more weird? I just there were so many revival meetings, and I'm like, this is just y'all are just weird. And in a single person getting saved, ain't none of y'all led anybody to Jesus, and you don't know how long. It was just a competition on who was most spiritual, and it was just weird. If I told you the stuff, you would be like, you wouldn't believe me. How weird people got. It was magic shows. But when the apostles got touched with the Holy Ghost, they immediately began sharing it with people who did not know Jesus. This entire Pentecostal movement, put up my next graphic if you would please, started in Azusa Street. That's where it really got fame. We've talked about him. You can search on our website with Charles Parham. Uh, He's a man in the upper left-hand corner there. He's an African-American man, the child of uh, former slaves, freed slaves. He was uh, blind in one eye, and he started this mission in what was a, 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 a barn, and the Holy Ghost came down in power. And people traveled from all over the world in 1906 to go to that meeting so they could get touched by the Holy Ghost in that room. There are credible stories of people getting touched by the power of God and they would wander out into the streets. And they would wander into churches that they'd never been to before. And they would preach the gospel. And people would get saved. And they would leave. And people would say, where did you learn Korean? And they're like, what are you talking about? You just preached an entire sermon in Korean. How did you do that? I did not know I was speaking Korean. I'm not making this up. This is documented. This happened. There are three verified incidents by the L.A. County Fire Department showing up at this revival because people saw flames on the roof who did not know what was going on and they would send the fire department and there was no fire happening. The Pentecostal fires of God were descending in such a way that people were getting touched by the Spirit of God. And in a day and age, here's what I want to tell you about this revival. In the days of holiness is when this thing popped out. People were competing to see who could be the most holy. Whole denominations came about to show how holy they were. And they had all the rules about what you could eat and what you could drink and what you could wear and what you could say and what kind of entertainment you could go to. And this, this, this revival started exploding and people began speaking in tongues. And people said, ah, we know how to judge whether or not someone has the Spirit, whether or not they have tongues. That's it. That's it. It's, that's, the, that's how we can judge whether or not they have the Spirit. And Parham, after a couple of years, saw this and he's like, man. Y'all are getting this thing completely wrong. And, and, and Charles Parham, he, he, he believed firmly that the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire was, was the flowing love of God and power for ministry. It wasn't about showing how holy you were. It wasn't about magic shows. It was about a river of love coming from the throne of God out of the hearts of submitted people to a world who desperately needs to know about Jesus. Oh, Jesus. God's love that had been received through this justification was internalized through sanctification. It would transform into the love for other people through spirit baptism. This stage of the Christian experience, he understood. He's like, man, you get sanctified from the world so that you can love the world unconditionally. The world is competing for who's going to be the richest, who's going to be the strongest, who's going to be the most powerful, who's going to be the most popular. And this love from heaven says, man, I don't care about any of that. I just 
love you the way God loves you. This is countercultural spiritual formation, and it requires that we see the world the way God sees the world. You can't do this on your own, friend. You can fake holiness on your own. You can, through sheer willpower and white-knuckle strength, decide you're not going to look at that website or gossip about that person or spend money on things or, or, or go to the wrong places. You, you can do that and still not be holy. It is the love of God that transforms our hearts. And that love of God transforms our heart to love God and love people. John 3.16 says, says, For God so loved the world that He gave His Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. It, was the, it wasn't the anger of God. It wasn't the pity of God. It wasn't the judgment of God. It wasn't, I want to send some people to hell, so I need to send some people to heaven. It was God's burning love for us. And that burning heart of God came forth as Jesus Christ onto the earth living love who poured out His life so that whoever believes in Him should never perish but have eternal life with God. And He sent His Spirit to flood our hearts so that we can be transformed. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who know no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. God's like, man, y'all are so focused on this sin thing. Let me help you out. I'll just make you clean. Now go, be loved. You're so worried about this sin thing. Let me me take care of the sin problem for you. So you can just focus on reaching the people that I love. This spirit was poured out, and I want you to notice something. Peter didn't come out of that upper room and say, we need to pass some laws against sin now. He he, he didn't come out of that, that room and say, we need to cancel Feast of Weeks. These people aren't worshiping God, right? We need to cancel them. We need to cancel the festivals. We need to, we need to cancel the temple. Uh, they weren't compelled by the Spirit to, 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 to begin judging people and putting them in bondage. They were compelled by the Spirit to reach those who did not know Jesus. This baptism of love made them bold with love. And this is different than what we see in the world. And, and I want to tell you today, I want to tell you today, more than anything, more, more than the cure for your anxiety, more for the cure for your finances, more for your need to have a cool friend group or a place to, to, to belong. I mean, just like any, any of the things that you're wrestling with today. And I get it. The cares of this world are many today. But what you need more than anything is a baptism in God's love. You need encounters with God in worship and prayer. Pentecost comes. Have you noticed what was happening when the, when the Spirit fell? You know what was happening in that upper room when the Spirit fell? They were praying. People say, like, man, I just need to hear God. You'll hear Him in the place of prayer. You'll hear Him in the place of worship. I just don't know what I should do, Pastor. Can you tell me? Yes. Go to where God talks. He talks in your prayer closet. You're like, I, I, just, I just need a word from God. I'm like, oh, I got, I got some words for you i got a whole book of words from God. If you just internalize them, your life will be radically, radically, radically changed. Intercession. Inter- yeah, Mike back there, screaming at people. But you know what that means? You know what that means? Some kid just got saved. That's what Mike sings every time he leads someone to salvation. 
I mean, unless it's really someone's birthday and then, you know. But it's a good moment nonetheless. How, 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 how much do you love the people who did you dirt? Do you love them as much as Jesus loves you when you did him dirt? We need a baptism of love. I need a baptism of love. We need to be able to see these people as the broken people that they are, who are incapable of maintaining relationships, who have to run and defame the people in their past, who have to slander the people in their past because they're terrified you'll find out the truth about them. We have to love them. We have to love them. And you can't do it on your own. You need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost to do it. This is countercultural spiritual formation. This is living with mission in mind. It's easy to judge people. And so I cannot fulfill God's mission without the Holy Ghost. Without love, you don't have the gifts of the Spirit. You, you, <laughs> hear me. Oh, Jesus. I'm, Mikey, come on up and play if you will. That'll make you hurry up. Let me just get Mikey here for a minute. Let me just get Mikey to come up here. <clears throat> I came up in a, in a spiritual climate where people were competing with who can have the best gifts. And, you know, I was competing. I let people know. You know, one day we're going to get to heaven and I'll tell you about all the bodies that I raised. And, you know, I would go into worship with people, get the front row. I'm like, man, you know when you worship, like you're caught up and you see Jesus high and lifted up. I want you to look close, off in the distance, at Jesus' feet. You'll see me right there. My friend said, man, you can even turn worship into a competition. I said, come on, it's on. It's on. Find me. But here's what I found out. Early in my walk, God touched me with his power, and I was seeing so many, I, I still do, but I saw people get healed and delivered everywhere. Like, I, I felt for the first time in my life I had a real purpose. But without the love of God, you don't have the gifts of the Spirit. You have the usage of the Spirit. You don't have gifts that, that the Spirit manifests through you. You have a way that you use God to make you feel like somebody. You turn the Jesus down for a Give me a little pocket to speak in. We try to use the Spirit to make us powerful, to make us important, to make our lives meaningful. But you were created more than the world can offer you. You were created for more than that power competition dynamic. You were created to be loved by God. The fruit of the Spirit becomes the context of the move of the Spirit. Without love, it becomes the way we use God. Not the love of God becoming active in the world. Did you catch that? As a Pentecostal church, and I'm preaching this for a reason because... We are entering into a new season at Revival Life Church where we see the Spirit begin to move. And we have been laying a foundation for the better part of two years now of countercultural spiritual formation, of reading the Bible properly, of getting our hearts with God right, of being on mission. And I could see God's like, I want to do something so significant 
but you got to create a vessel that I can fill. A vessel that doesn't think it's better because it's full. When the miracles start happening, is that going to make you feel better about yourself? When you come into that financial breakthrough, is that going to change your view of God? We need to deal with those idols now. Here's what we need to do. We need to pray till our heart changes. We need to pray till we realize that the people in this world around us are stuck and they cannot get out. We need to pray these psalms until they change you. I'm going to sound like a broken record because it's just this life. You ever been really bitter? Mad with God? Pray the psalms where David is mad with God. Invite Jesus into your pain. Invite Jesus into your hurt. Invite Jesus into your rejection. Invite Jesus into your struggle. David wrote these many of these psalms. Jesus prayed all of these psalms. His spirit is moving in all of them as you pray the prayers of Jesus. Why, why, Pastor? Why do you keep getting on this? Because we desperately need to be transformed so we can create a container in this little church for the Spirit of God to fall. For people who are lost and stuck in addiction have a place to be set free. I was praying this week and um, praying through Psalm 99. In the psalm, the psalmist writes, Moses and Aaron were among your priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of the cloud. And it struck me. I, I mean, I... I I don't even know how to articulate this. I'm just, I'm praying this psalm for probably the fourth day in a row that week. And it struck me like I am talking to the same God that Moses and Aaron were talking to. Samuel. Samuel called on the same God that I called upon. I'm not alone in this thing. There is a long history of our God building a community of faith that I now get to be a part of. First Kings chapter eight. I'll read this. I'm going to read it over you. They had built the temple. And now they're dedicating it. They're consecrating it. They're saying, God, this whole building is just for you. And they did a massive offering. And they, I think it was 12,000. I think it was 12,000 sheep and 8,000 rams or 20,000 rams. A lot, right? A whole lot. A lot, a lot. And here's the prayer. This, this, this Lord, it jumped off the page at me. 
Solomon prays, verse 57, May the Lord our God be with us as He was with our fathers. May He not leave us or forsake us. May He incline our hearts to Himself to walk in all His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His ordinance which He commanded our fathers. Oh, oh, that jumped off the page at me as I'm preparing for Pentecost, the day the Spirit descends, and as they're consecrating the temple, asking God to move into it by His Spirit. There's the key. There's the key. I can't do it on my own. God, will you be with us at Revival Life Church as you have been with the church the last 2,000 years? Will you not leave us or forsake us? And here's the part I really love. Will you incline my heart to you? Will you give me a heart that loves you, Father? Will you give me a heart that lives for you? Friend, friend, I... I <clears throat> I don't speak judgment over any of you who are wrestling with the ways of this world. Those who are like, I'm just trying to get through the week, Pastor. I, 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 I'm, I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to hold on. And you're talking about revival. I, I, I understand I'm, I got sin in my life and I can't get free of it. Yeah, I, I mean, and here you're talking about this radical dedication and countercultural. Let me tell you, you cannot do it on your own. I couldn't do it on my own. I never could accomplish it on my own. But one day, I came into a place and I prayed a prayer. And the Spirit of God came down from heaven and touched me and filled me and changed my heart to the things of God. And I went home and I read my Bible and for the very first time, that thing made sense. God was talking to me in a way I had never heard before. It wasn't a switch that I turned on and off. God had inclined my heart toward Him. And friend, what this world does not need is a religion that says you need to try harder. Friend, Florida does not need a religion that says we need some more laws to keep you from being bad. Boca Raton does not need laws that say you're not allowed to earn this much money or you can't be that poor. That's not what we need. I don't know what laws we do need, but I do know that we need a heart after God. And we pray in here, we read that they pray, God, change my heart. If you're like, Pastor, I've been struggling with this thing for years. I say, keep struggling. But in your struggle, cry out to God for a new heart. Create a new heart within me, O oh God. Cleanse me with your Holy Spirit and give me a heart after you. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I'm watching this documentary with my wife and she told me not to bring it up today but here I am 
about a very successful church in every way the world would measure a church. Big crowd, big lights, fame and fortune, and sin from top to bottom. People being abused, people being mistreated, and sexually assaulted and being covered up, and leaders being someone different in the platform than they are in their real life, and spreading all over the world, and yet hearts are not inclined to God. Do I wish I had that influence? Absolutely. So I could point people to Jesus. Do I wish I had that fame? Oh, yeah. Because I'd have a platform big enough to put more people in touch with God. Do I want that $1.3 billion? You better believe it. But I have a feeling in my life I can't have both. Before I joined the ministry, before Jesus told me to join the ministry, I had my own business. I've worked for myself for years. I didn't have nearly the problems I have now. I got my problems, and I got people who want my, their problems to be my problems. And I tell them, well, you better just go to Jesus. They're like, no, I came to you. I'm like, but I, I'm just trying to do for me right now. I don't. Why, why do I say this? This, this, this platform, I don't, I'm not building this platform on you. You're not my platform. I'm, I'm your platform. I'm trying to get you closer to God. I'm trying to get you to touch. I want you to get touched by the spirit of love. What's that going to look like, Pastor? That's going to look like that relative you haven't talked to in five years. You're going to give him a call and not feel some type of way. That means like the next time your spouse talks to you sideways, you're going to ask him what's wrong instead of come back with accusation. That means when you remember what happened to you when you were a child... Your heart has been healed and you can walk in forgiveness. And you feel bad for that little girl or little boy who got touched inappropriately, but it no longer resonates in your heart. That you're not seeking emotional fulfillment through people who are incapable of fulfilling your emotions. Because you have been fulfilled by God. And that you're part of a community that loves you and is fighting with you and believes the best for you and is praying for you and says one day things will not be like this. I know that I know that I know. I'm telling you, this baptism of love is coming. The best is ahead for many of you in this place. And I'm praying for a touch from God that transforms all our hearts. Would you stand with me? Turn up the keys if you touch if you would, please. Oh, Holy Spirit, 
Jesus said that he would ask the Father and he would send another helper. The Spirit of Truth, which the world does not know. But you said we would know not many days from now. And Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, the paraclete, the third person of the Godhead, Holy God, co-equal with Christ, co-equal with the Father, the one whom the Father has sent, the Comforter, the Counselor, the one who will bring the teachings of Jesus to remembrance. You fell on that temple so many years ago. You fell in that room so many years ago. You fell on my life so many years ago, and yet you met me in my on my knees just last night and this morning. And you continue to talk to me up to this very moment. I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of oh Jesus. Okay. Yep, 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 yep. Yep, yep. Keep it going, Mike. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, 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 yep. Okay. Lord, mm, mm-hmm. I'm going to pray for healing right now for some of you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for every wounded heart in this room. self-preservation that had to protect themselves from external abuse. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Jesus, Jesus, we declare forgiveness right now. And I pray that through that forgiveness, your love would come and would heal hearts in this room right now, Jesus. That you would flood hearts with your Holy Ghost. You would flood hearts with your Holy Ghost right now, Jesus. You would flood hearts with your Holy Ghost right now. Flood hearts with your Holy Ghost. You would heal. You would move. You would bend. You would give them power to forgive Jesus. And you would come like that vision said on a white horse with a robe dipped in blood, with the spirit of truth that comes and separates the work of the devil from what man has done and sets them free to worship you without bondage, without depression, without anxiety, without self-loathing, without pain, without remorse, without shame, Father. I pray that you would pour your love out in hearts right now where they can drop their guard and love freely. They can come freely before you and fully accept your love, be fully embraced by a loving Father. Holy Ghost, would you come and would you rend the veil? Would you pierce open heaven? Would your love shine in this room, Father God? Would your love shine in this room and warm hearts, convert hearts to your love? Would Jesus come, Father, in his flesh and touch us and touch people?
people and hug people and love people and love people and wash people clean. Father, I pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray. I command every foul demon of manipulation to come off your life right now. Every foul demon of condemnation to come off your life right now. I command every dark spell spoken against you. Every false light that is spoken false prophecy into your heart. Every every spell of witchcraft that has come to steal the life of God from you. I declare the blood of Jesus over this room. I declare the blood of Jesus over this room. I declare the blood of Jesus today. Come on, come on, lift your voice. Come on, lift your voice. He's filling someone with the Holy Ghost right now. He's filling someone with the Holy Ghost right now. Just begin to speak in a language you don't know. It's going to come out of your belly. It's going to come out of your belly. God is moving. God is moving right now. Oh, the Lord says I'm moving. I'm coming through the room right now. He's coming through the room right now. He's piercing hearts with love. He's piercing hearts with love right now. Oh, it feels like a wound, but it is love. It is love. It is love flowing from the throne of God. Hey, Karaba. Yes, say it about time today. They were just in a room praying to God, just obeying Jesus. But then suddenly, then suddenly, a sound came from heaven. A sound came from heaven. Appeared tongues on them as a fire. They didn't know where it was coming from. They didn't know where it was going. But something transformed on the inside of them. And forever, they were changed. They couldn't be the same again. They were transformed to the church of God. Now, if you will lift your heart to Jesus, and you will yield to the Spirit, and you will open your mouth out of your belly, shall come rivers of living water, and they shall never run dry. Lift your voice. Healing is coming from that river. Power is coming from that river. Power is coming from that river. Your destiny is flowing from that river. Send that out of the country Come on, lift your voice. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Come on. Holy from heaven. Holy Ghost fire from heaven. You're being set free. People's judgments are coming out your life. Look at the pictures and they're not going to bother you anymore. You're not going to compare yourself any longer. You're going to look in the mirror and the loathing is going to be gone. Not by 10 You're going to look in bed at night 
and your mind's going to be clear. And what they said isn't going to matter. And you're going to say, Jesus, forgive them. They know not what they were doing to your servant. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, holy are you, God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Oh, yes, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, come on, come on. Sing that. Unmute the announcement mic. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, sing it out. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we need you. We need you in this way, Jesus. I need you, Lord. I need you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I need you so desperately. Fire of God falling in the room. I, um, 
I would challenge you in this room today. Uh, the, the, we are the doors. The Lord has opened a door of grace. He's invited us into something. Whoa! He has invited us into something. And I would take this week to sanctify yourself. Seek the Lord. Almighty. Mm. I don't, I don't know if it's your parents, but I think it's your grandparents. I don't know if your grandparents are believers or not. But I believe that they made a prayer and they made a covenant with God. And I saw the promise of God that your grandparents, I think it was your grandparents, made landing on you. And the Lord says, today is a new day. There is a new mantle landing upon you. Mantle, not in a weird kind of modern charismatic way, you know, like you've inherited a cloak. If you didn't have believing grandparents, I want you to just receive that for yourself right now. Let me bless you. to end a service like this, but it doesn't have to end. You can just live in it, in the power of the Spirit. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to dismiss you, and if you want to continue to pray, I want to invite you to the front, and you can just pray near the altar. They'll play for a little bit longer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His face to you and give you peace. And this is what I pray for you that you're able to walk in peace as you have peace with God. Amen. If you're a first-time guest and you're still here, you're a rock star. I'd like to say that this is not our normal service. I'd like to say I wish it were. Father, we do love you and thank you, and I bless your people that they would have divine appointments and hearts for those who need to see you this week. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. Give somebody a hug near you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go clap on the Lord. Give somebody a hug near you. If you need prayer, we'll have someone at the front. We'll pray for you. Need healing in your body. We love you. God bless you. Turn up the drums just a little bit. Something over here.